With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with your co-host, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie. Michael and Jeannie share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. They offer tools and support five days a week. They will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love. In Aramaic, Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com. And now your co-host, the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. To the brightness within you and the truth that is rooted within me. Hi and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm your co-host Jeannie Rice along with Dr. Tim Hayes and we welcome you to the show. Today is Wednesday, December the 16th, 2015 and our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1 and that puts you in queue to talk to us and we would love to hear your comments and your questions because that makes this your show. Michael's going to be just a few minutes getting with us, so I'm going to chat for a few minutes, and then, Michael, you let me know when you're on. The purpose of this show is called Mind Shifters Radio, and it's about shifting your mind. You can go to our website, which is www.whyagain.org, whyagain.org, and if you're new to this, all you have to do is click on the bullseye in the middle of the page, and that's the start here, that will take you to where the worksheets are. Michael, are you already with us? You might want to mute. Okay, mute there. Um, Anyway, when you click on that bullseye, it takes you to worksheets to print. The first link is Chapter 24 of Michael's book, which walks the character of the book through doing the forgiveness process. The second link is the wake-up sheets, the seventh step that we use most often. The third link is MP3s to the radio shows where we have actually walked somebody through doing a wake-up sheet. Then there you'll see two other links with pictures below that. One of them is to the shows that we've done just recently. We did a, over a week of shows specifically geared towards addiction programs such as AA and then also the PowerPoint presentation of the forgiveness work. Forgiveness is not about letting another person off the hook for what they bring up in you, but it's about going inside and removing whatever is in you that doesn't belong. You say, well, what doesn't belong? Well, you're created in the image of love, so that's the stuff you're made of. So anything less than love doesn't belong. So that's anger, fear, grief, hostility, pain, 
And one of the things I want to talk about today, and I didn't ask them for permission to do this, so I'm not going to mention any names, but someone had been going through some changes in their life, and I had talked to them a couple of times about what they needed to do. One of them was about addictions and letting that go. So if you were listening to this show, go back and, and listen to that. It was seven days, six days of radio shows specifically about addiction and how to to go through the 12 steps and how forgiveness goes along with the 12 steps. And this person was attempting to let go of two addictions, one of alcoholism and the other one of a person that they didn't need to have in their life, but they were, I guess, addicted to having them there. And then I didn't hear from them for a while. And so I wrote, and it was like, how are you doing? haven't heard from you. And their response back was, um, you know, trying to figure out, which we have talked about that figuring things out is a pseudo solution. You can't figure it out. You just have to do the work. And they said, uh, you know, sitting with a lot of things right now and taking in a lot of bubble baths. And I wrote back and I said, are you staying clear of the alcohol and are you staying clear of being in relationship with someone you're not supposed to be in relationship with? And their response back was, it's complicated. And I said, that sounds like a no to my question. It's not complicated unless you make it so, and it's a choice and recognizing you deserve better than that. And I think, you know, just both of those being an addiction, it takes really strong to take a stand and say, no, I'm going to do something different. You can say, oh, well, you know, I told them to go away and I have avoided getting around people who support drinking and, you know, I've done all of these things, but I'm still doing that. I'm still in that relationship. And it's blaming the other people saying, well, they're still coming around. I told them to go away, but they're still coming around and I can't get away from this. And, I kind of disagree with that. So, Michael, when you get on, perhaps you could address that a little more deeply. But I think going back and listening to those shows might be a good step in them taking it to to the direction that they need to take it in order to heal this because they're feeling all of these things physically as well. So it's not just a mental-emotional process, but they're physically um, experiencing the results of these decisions and they can say, yeah, I made a choice. But if they're not following through, I think that's more of a decision, not a choice, because they're falling back to what feels familiar. So while we're waiting on Michael, Dr. Tim, let me welcome you. How are you doing today, and do you have any input on that? Well, I'm doing quite well, thank you. And and my input would be very similar to yours. Um, This was, you know... Everybody's got a different take on this, and some people believe that if they listen to a process about the commitment or Michael's lecture on healing through relationship and codependence, interdependence, some people might get the message, oh, so you're telling me I just have to stay in this abusive relationship until I work out my issues. And that's one interpretation. I would offer... Many times, especially when it's feeding an addiction or it's feeding an abusive pattern, that I'm far better off breaking the relationship, breaking the pattern of abuse or addiction, healing what needs to be healed in me. 
I'm not blaming anybody else for that. I'm doing this kind of focused inner work that's taking full responsibility for what's going on in me. And then when I'm more clear, when I'm able to hold the space of love for myself and the other, if I want to go back and address issues with that other person in relationship or with that other person about our relationship, from the space of love, I can do it and healing can happen. If I'm triggered and I'm focused on how it's this other person who's causing this upset in me or this outside force like the addiction, the alcohol that's causing this problem in me, no healing can happen. So, you know, I I get this. It comes up on a fairly regular basis in our support groups where people think, well, you're telling me I should just run away from every problem in a relationship because you're telling me I should leave or you're telling me I should just quit this or quit that. And those aren't words that come out of my mouth. I'm talking about addressing the problems at their root cause, which is inside me. And if I'm having difficulty focusing inside me, if I'm having difficulty being loving toward myself and others, restoring my focus to my true nature is love and my awareness that that's all that really counts. And my going inside myself to remove whatever is less than that that belongs anywhere but inside me, that's my first task. From that place where I reconnect with my true nature, then I can extend love to anyone and anything in any situation, and that's my offering of, of healing energy. And that's that energy of love is the only thing that's going to do the healing anyway. So that would be my input, very similar to yours. And mine would be right along exactly the same lines. And Jeannie, I think you hit it on the head. It's a difference between a decision and a choice. You know, choices come from being. Being always wants to do the right thing, always wants to be an integrity, always wants to be loving. But if we carry generations of hostility and fear around an issue, then decisions come forward. And a decision is it's like the, the what we call the mind that really isn't a mind, the, the human mind, is really a decision-making machine. If I say don't think about the color of your car, you're not going to think. All that's going to happen is brain cells are going to resonate, and your mind is going to spit up its answer. That's its decision. So for everything we engage in, this device, this body-mind unit, has generations of programming of decisions. And let's say, for instance, in, in the situation you're talking about, like I, I'd be the last person to ever counsel somebody to leave a relationship, except in the situation where someone's involved in a relationship with somebody who's married. And the violation of the integrity of yourself, of the person you're in relationship with, and the person that the person you're in relationship with is married to is, uh, is, is hands down a no-win situation and certainly not the place to begin a relationship. You know, if somebody's playing footsie with you, chances are if they break away from that other relationship, they're going to be playing footsie with someone else when the stress comes up and the chips are down, if that's their pattern. Clear out of the relationship, clean it up, and do your work around it. And if they choose to leave that other relationship and you start a relationship on a clean footing, great. But 
if I come from years of, well, you know, I really don't deserve, and so this is the best I can get, I'll just take somebody else's sloppy seconds, you know, and, and all the rationalizations that go with that, then the decision is an emotional draw back to that. And that can be hard to undo with choice. That takes a significant amount of work. But, you know, with like, for instance, with alcohol, the alcoholic that never goes near the liquor store is probably going to have a better chance of never drinking again. The alcoholic that never goes into the bar is probably going to have a better chance of staying sober than the alcoholic that stops off at the bar or stops off at the liquor store. Just kind of, you know, part of the way that it works. And so the decision-making device is where you apply forgiveness to remove the emotionalized decisions from the past that draw us into behaviors that choice would never make. And that's just doing one's work. And, and that's where, you know, one of the benefits of an intensive is you're in a deep, intense space where you've got support for, one, staying clean, eating clean, totally fresh and raw food. And what that does is it empowers one to go to depths that otherwise one probably wouldn't go to hanging out with themselves. So it creates a different level of support. And then when you're working with a whole community of people, much as, you know, we hear Tim and others reporting on support groups and the changes that happen are not changes that most people are likely to make on their own probably ever because they don't have the vitality. They are not clean in their habits. And and when I say that, I mean, it's the food they eat, the, the drinks they drink, the relationships they engage in. And the big factor is that there's not a whole community of people who are literally energetically spraying love on them when hostility or fear comes up. And that just takes the healing process to a whole different level. So so that would be my input around it is you've got to free yourself from the decisions and you do that with forgiveness. That weakens the patterns of the decision-making mind, which, you know, being in relation, you know, feeling you don't deserve or whatever the dynamics are and being in relationship with somebody who's already committed elsewhere can be something that's been going on for generations and just becomes sort of a, a natural decision that feels right. When you start making choices in that mind, your choices are not going to feel right. But I guarantee you, your decision-making mind where there's some form of hostility or fear will never give you proper guidance. It's never going to take you there. So that would be my input, and we certainly hold the space and open the space. And, you know, I, I don't know anybody that makes new choices and then embodies them perfectly every time. And I, of course, include myself. So what do you do? You make your new choices. You allow life to come along and bring up everything unlike those choices and sometimes just slip back into the old way. And, and so you do the next level of work and you realize, oh, this is off base with what I as a being choose to do. Okay, well, so am I going to condemn myself? Am I going to be down on myself? Am I bad? Am I wrong? No, all of that will be a decision that will probably just drive you right back to your drug, whether the drug is relationship or alcohol or whatever it is. You lovingly, gently accept yourself, bless yourself, go back to a space of love, and reinforce your choice and do the next level of your work. You know, one of the, the things we go into in the workshop, uh, the circle of life and how to play it, is we talk about how people uh, learn on the lower path to try to force others into change, to control others through abuse and violence. And 
when we start to move out of controlling others through abuse and violence, oftentimes that same dynamic gets turned back on ourselves. We try to control ourselves with abuse and violence. And, you know, uh, judgment of self, dragging oneself down in the mud is just another form of, uh, of violence to self. And so you want to acquire the new habit of the upper path behavior of treating others lovingly, gently, and with respect, even when they're not doing what you want them to do, and then giving yourself the same gift, treating yourself lovingly, gently, and with respect, and holding yourself in the space of love as you go through the next layer of your work. Nobody can make those changes on that deep a level in an instant. It's a process. It takes time. You can't storm the gate. So, so we're here to hold the space, and Jeannie tells us we've got a couple of callers. Sweetie? Yeah, we actually, um, Dr. Andraki was one of them, but he has dropped off, so he must have had to go. So if I see him pop back in, I may interrupt whoever's talking. Because I know Dr. Andraki's time is limited. Uh, So he has dropped off. But the other, I believe, is Jason from yesterday. It says it's an Asheville number, but I think you said you were up north. How are you doing, Jason? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. Did you get get my email with the information? I did, and um, Good. I am. Uh, we uh, scheduled my parents and I scheduled some time this afternoon to um, to sit down and watch the PowerPoint presentation, and um, your letter will be part of that sharing process. Um, I'm looking forward to starting the responsibility communication with them. Um, I think that's. Uh, something that's going to be very useful for us. Um, so thank you very much. And um, I did have uh, a couple of questions that I had been wondering about for quite some time. Um, I'm interested in where you get your um, your knowledge of the Galilean uh, Aramaic that that was spoken by Yeshua um, to do these translations. I understand your work with the Kabiris, Um but I've never quite found, um, I guess, what I'm looking for. Um, I, w- I would like to learn Aramaic, but I would also like to know your source. Well, I've never actually done any translation work, and as the director of the foundation, I'm not allowed to do translation work. The translation work itself was done by a group of 25 Aramaic scholars, some of the best in the world. And my part in the process was to to take, once they had established what was considered to be an accurate meaning, and that was that all of the translators agreed with the meaning of the words. Then we, we still didn't consider that the translation was accurate. If the translation promised it would produce a result, then what had to happen is it had to be taken into the classroom and used in that laboratory and produce the result. And so that was my part in the process. And okay. so there are 25 translators who worked with the Kaboris. And you can order uh, from the website a copy of the Kaboris, and it's, it's written in three parts. The opening of the book has the, uh, a well, story the about the Kaboris, where it was found, enlightenment book, right. Yes, not the Kaboris itself, but what we've published so far from the Kaboris. In the middle of the text, there are some select passages from the New Testament, and the key words are left in brackets in Aramaic. And then if you go to the back of the book, there's a first century dictionary. So you can look at what the first century mind was thinking when it spoke those words. 
For instance, you can look at, I think there's a copy of the uh, Beatitudes from the Aramaic on, on the website. And the first word in each of the Beatitudes, as the Greeks translated, is blessed are they. But in Aramaic, the word is tuvehun, and it's a three-part word. And in the first century, the meaning was much closer to a latent neural structure implanted in you by the Creator to guide you to happiness and well-being becomes your conscious possession, you who, and then the Beatitudes are an instruction set for awakening that guidance system. So you can translate yourself from the Enlightenment book using the dictionary in the back, each of those ideas, and see for yourself what it meant. And I actually, it wasn't until I sat down the third time and translated the Beatitudes using the dictionary in the back that that. It was a third translation, longhand, writing it out, that it clicked in my brain. Oh, my God, this is a set of instructions. So now in the laboratory, the classroom, we say, okay, here's a set of instructions for how to restore yourself to the guidance system that we're talking about, choice, that was implanted from the beginning by the creator. So the Enlightenment book might be uh, be useful for you. If you want to learn Aramaic, you know, you can Google it. There are a couple of teachers out there. Rocco Erico is really a fun teacher, does some great work. And I've worked with Rocco back in the early days of doing this work. Uh, Rocco had a center out in California. He'd import me to speak there, and I had a center in Florida. I'd import him to speak in, in Florida. And he teaches a course in Aramaic, and there's a, a gentleman whose name I'm not remembering now that he works with. I'm sure there are others who are teaching the Aramaic as well, but that might be a good place to, uh, to go. Rocco doesn't go to the psychological depth that the, um, the foundation went with the first century meanings, but uh, but he does some great work in terms of teaching the Aramaic and, and enlightening people on the meaning of many passages that are obscure and, and don't make any sense when translated through the Greek filter. Does that okay. answer your question? Uh, yes, it does. Um, and Rocco was a student of George Lamsa, right? Yeah, he's kind of George Lamsa's protege. He worked with Lamsa for many years, and he actually has rewritten and republished. Blomsa did several books, uh, uh, Gospel Light, More Light on the Gospel, Old Testament Light, and uh, they're great commentaries, and Rocco has republished those and, and uh, re-edited those and put them out again. And his uh, website is Noura, N-O-O-H-R-A, dot com, which is the word light in Aramaic. So you can go to Noura.com and, uh, and find Rocco. Okay. Um, cool. And what is what is your take on the Lambs of Bible, the uh, Old and New Testaments? Well, you know, Lamsa, when he was doing his work, was doing this is back in the 40s and 50s, and he was literally being threatened by uh, those good Christian fundamentalists uh, to be murdered because he was not following the King James. You know, the, the guy who said, love those who hate you, the people who supposedly think they're following him, uh, threatened to kill him because he wasn't following the King James. He's a native Aramaic speaker. And so when he wrote the, or when he translated the Lamsa Bible, uh, he made, as I understand it from his own words, about, um, let's, let, me, let me get my brain to the numbers. I believe it was, it was about 1,600 changes out of what should have been 10,000 but he only made the changes that he thought he could survive. And so my experience with the Lamsa Bible, there's a great introduction in it, but as far as the, you know, going through it, 
you have to do a lot of reading to gather any real Aramaic sensibility from it because the changes are so sparse. They're there, but they're sparse. I find that working with Lamps' commentaries, there's gospel light, as I say, more light in the gospel, Old Testament light, idioms of the Bible explain. There's a whole series of things that he did that I find to be far more um, digestible. And it's like, you know, if you take one of those books, you're sitting down and eating a whole banquet. And to use a, a vegetarian metaphor, uh, Taking the, the, the Bible that he wrote or translated, it's like going to a meat buffet and trying to find something to eat. There's it's there, That's, but there's not a whole there's not a whole lot. <laughs> so that would well, be I, you know, I, I identify with that metaphor. <laughs> yeah, okay, good. So so I wouldn't run out and invest except you know, the introduction, there's some great information in the beginning of, of that text, his introduction and all. But as far as reading and translating from it, there's not very much there to, to really gnaw on compared to the commentaries where you open the commentary and it's like you got a full, sumptuous, you know, gourmet buffet and every one of them, they're awesome. Right. Very good. Well, um... Cool, and thank you for your note about uh, having the space and wanting to come and do some support at Heartland and bring some of your carpentry skills and such. We're doing all kinds of upgrades at this point, so we'll be communicating with you about that, and that would be awesome if we can work that out. Beautiful. I look forward to it. All right. Delighted. All right. Well, any other way we can support you? Um... No, I'm just... Uh, I'm I'm actively canceling the goal to uh to have this work uh well received and I'm just creating a space where um they might uh feel compelled to choose that for themselves. Um so um I'm just I'm just you know, grateful for things, all of the support. Yeah, one of the other things you could offer them is they don't have to change anything they believe. In fact they don't need to believe is belief is no component of making Yeshua's work work. What it takes is simply using the tools. So just invite them into, uh, perhaps rather than you have to believe this way or that way or change your belief, it's just take the tool and use it. You know, here's how forgiveness works. Uh, at least this is one person, right. you know, a guy named Michael Rice, who's got 25 translators behind him and 35 years of work with it. It says here's how forgiveness work works. Now, don't believe it, but here, why don't you do a worksheet? Why don't we sit down and just watch what happens? And, you know, right. I mean, the most magical, miraculous, life-changing things occur when people just do that simple forgiveness process. It's just, you know, it's mind-boggling. I was, you know, Jim was on the show yesterday sharing about his son, estranged for 10 years, and he shared with me this morning, he's actually packing his car to get on the road to get up to uh, I I heard that. Jersey, believe me. Right. Well, I talked to him this morning, and the son who he's been estranged from in, for 10 years, and the only communication has been rageful. Uh, he got a, a call from his son this morning. He said, Dad, I hear you're leaving today. Yep. Well, you know, I just wanted to call and say be safe in your journey. And by the way, what size shirt do you wear? <laughs> That's a communication from somebody who's done nothing but rage at him for 10 years when there was communication. It's been mostly estranged. So, and, and Jim shared with me, you know, he – he did a lot of living this summer, and Jim was kind of – he's actually done it a couple of times and never done the homework, and I kind of encouraged Jim, encouraged Jim, encouraged Jim, and he shared with me this morning, well, I actually got through about three and a half weeks of the six weeks of homework. 
which means we invite him to start over again. But he said, I'm realizing now that in that time frame, and I wasn't really seeing that much change, but in that time frame, most of the worksheets, and part of the six weeks homework from Laws of Living is five worksheets a day, he said most of them were on my son. And I said, yeah, you don't necessarily see the cumulative shifts and changes, but bingo, it occurs. And, you know, no belief required. Just just do the process and right. watch what happens. It's most, most miraculous and, and awesome to watch. Yes, it is. And that was, um, so that was my part. That was my part in the labora- of, of taking you to the laboratory. Of does this work? Can we can we actually see the result? And that's when that was like the final verification that the words, the meanings that we had uncovered and discovered uh, from the first century were accurate because it worked. Right. Well, yes, I'm told. What happens, <laughs> you you will love those who hate you. You will do good to those who despitefully use you. Happens when you do forgiveness. That's all. It's just. You know, doesn't mean you might agree, you agree with somebody or you support everything they do, but but you can hold that space and be the space of love in their presence, which is uh, just it's a miraculous yeah. shift when you look at what's been going on on the planet for the last few decades. Right, right, and um, I just sent an email along those lines this morning and uh, just affirmed that I receive salvation every day, and um, it's it's nothing short of a miracle. Um, yep, I agree with you. So my my approach with my parents was that I need help in healing some issues that I have, and I wanted them to be on the same page with me so that they could understand the process that I was using, and they're 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 open and receptive to that. So awesome. um, thank you. What's that? Um, I was just going to say something that you might do, too, that's, that works a lot of times when there's someone who is kind of offhand with it and don't really, you know, I don't, you know, it's okay for you, but I don't want to get involved, is, like, if you get them to sit down and actually look at doing a worksheet, do it on you and just say, you know, all I need you to do is just, as I'm going through this worksheet and I'm going to do it out loud, for you all to just hold the space for me as I go through it. And what that does is they it, they kind of let down their wall because they're not having to admit to anything right now. And they're willing to hold the space of love for you to work through your issues. And so then work through one of the worksheets out loud and maybe even about a sensitive, a really sensitive issue that will touch into them as well. Um and how you get to the bottom of it, that it's something within you and that there's no blame or anything outside. And they'll get it by watching you go through it. And we'll Very be good. holding the space. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm grateful. Cool. Fabulous. All right, sir. Well, keep us posted and any support we can be along the way. And this afternoon when you're with your parents, we'll be just beaming that active presence of love in the space that, whatever needs to open for them opens and whatever moves for them moves in the most awesome, loving way. Thank you so much. All right, sir. Blessings. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. And we have a Skype caller. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask you for the next caller. So we'll talk to the whoever's on Skype. All right. So Skype caller, you are on the air. Who do we have? Hi, guys. It is Carrie Ellis. How are well, you? Well, hey there, young lady. We are blessed and highly favored. Just 
having an Wonderful. awesome day, beautiful sunny day here, and uh, looking forward to seeing you at 4 o'clock. I, when I first got your message, I thought you were just asking about the radio show. I hadn't uh, seen the message that came through earlier and didn't realize you were talking about uh, meeting up in uh, uh, St. Pete. So right. glad I finally well, got that. <laughs> and if I get bumped off, Skype already bumped me off once, so that happens occasionally. So if that happens, no worries. Just know that that's what happens. Um, but okay. be relatively stable. Um, yeah, I just got done teaching workshops this weekend up in Michigan, and um, it, over the last couple of weeks, actually several, and the Unity of Muskegon, and then the Unity out in Ada, which is called, I think it's called Center for Spiritual Growth these days, where Bill Constantine is, and um, I actually got right. done with the workshop there, and it said, they said, we want you to come back and teach another workshop. And I said, well, you know, I don't have time. And they said, don't tell us that. Look what you just told us. Anything is possible. And I was like, okay. <laughs> so we worked out a way to fit it in. They said, how many people do you need? And I said, well, how about a dozen? And I think we ended up with about 20 people at the workshop. And um, really wonderful and fun. And I kind of did the sermon on Sunday at the Muskegon Unity. They've had a They've had a group reading my book, 21st Century Superhuman, for the last year and um, meeting once a week. And so really, you know, there's a lot of foundational work already laid at both of those places. And I always talk about the radio shows. I always talk about your work with the Ancient Aramaic and, um, you know, among other things that I want to give them the foundation to really build the bill involved with. And um, so it's been really exciting and fun. And Fabulous. A lot of, and yeah, stayed with Sharon, who had cardiac surgery about six weeks ago, who's been to some of your intensives, and she's doing really well. And Cheryl, who's doing some work with Rex, drove me to the airport. So we've got just a really fun community who are all, you know, doing the forgiveness work and understanding these principles and um, a lot of really great change going on. So it's been really fun. Fabulous, fabulous. And you're going to spend some time with Mom. So we hold the space for I'm that. I'm going to spend some time with Mom. Yep, she was actually in Michigan at the same time as I was, but um, she's been asking me to come and hang out with her for a while, so I'm getting ready to go do nice. that. She's awesome. She's really supportive and kind, and I'm just so grateful for her presence still in my life. Cool. Well, tell her that we <laughs> said hello and we send hugs. I will do that because, yeah, you met her that one time at – Oh yeah, and it was at Palm Coast where you taught Palm the workshops. Yes. At, um, I'm trying to remember the mm-hmm. name of the your sister yep. whose place that is up there, but um, yeah. And so Shannon, yep. So you know, it's a it's a a growing community among all of us, and we're all so grateful for this work, and it's so foundational to everything I'm out teaching and doing. And, uh, Thankful. Well, we're delighted to be on the path with you uh, and be on your support team and to have you on the path with us as our support team. And, you know, together we're making a difference, and that's what it's all about. It's, it is awesome. And I, I look around the world at the the kind of ditch, I would say, we're digging our way out of so much culture that's been on for so long in this experiment, so to speak, outside of love. And, um and as we reestablish those brain cells and understand that we are creative beings designed to operate in love and that we learn how to breathe and smile and release our old data, that we literally change the world. And the only person we can change is ourselves. Yep. So 
I'm great, grateful to be doing that and so grateful to have this knowledge. Yay. Yay. Yeah. Ted, Teddy, cool. Well, Teddy anything else contrib- exciting in your world? You know, I'm here at Teddy's, and she's contributor to the book. She's not here right now, but um, she and I just look at each other and say, you know, we're both just so committed to getting this work out into the world. I don't know that there's anything else as important to me in my life. Um, it's really... And and there's what's so exciting is there's people everywhere that are ready, that are hungry, that are interested. And a lot of the younger people, which UCLA studies have shown that they've done like a million studies on the younger generation showing that they actually have more awake DNA and they're really coming in to carry this kind of thing forward. And most of them are so receptive when they come to my workshops. And, um, you know, and then the older generations, it takes a little more explaining to explain what this is and how it works, but there's so many people that are ready. Um, they're ready to understand how to participate in change on the planet. And um, gosh, it's just really the only thing I know. <laughs> I know anymore, you know, that I'm participating in and um, being part of a couple of global teams. One that's moving forward, the fund that JFK was working on restoring to humanity before he passed. And um, a lot of really exciting things. The cash technology, which is in both of these organizations, their agreement with governments to share their technology is that in exchange for it is peace, no more war. And really, no more taxes, no more debt. Those are kind of in the agendas of the kind of global work that I'm moving forward. Exciting. My goodness, that sounds like human life expressing. Doesn't it? Yeah, cool. All right, young lady. Well, we'll see you a little later this afternoon. Look forward to it. Much love, many blessings to all. Okay, blessings. Bye-bye. So our calling number is 646-200-4169. And if you're in the phone queue and you have a question for us, if you push one, that'll put a little hand up in the control panel through the magic of technology, and Jeannie will introduce you by your area code. And if you're on one of those stations that uh, we don't have access to in our control panel, we can't see you. Or if you're in the uh, chat room and have a question for us that uh, you want to verbalize, if you call our call-in number, it's 646-200-4169. 646-200-4169. And that will uh, tap you into the line. You'll be able to listen to the show. And at any point, you push one. That'll put a hand up, and we'll be able to have a chat. So, Jeannie, do we have anybody else with a uh, hand up? Or No, no one has Anything a hand up. In the chat room? Nope, chat room's really quiet, and uh, there's several people on the switchboard, but no one has their hand up right now. Actually, um, besides Dr. Androcki disappearing, um, Dr. Tim has also disappeared, so they must have both had clients or something that they had to go to. So 646-200-4169, when you ask your questions, it definitely opens up the show for everybody else because if you have a question, I guarantee it's somebody else's question as well. And if nobody's going to ask anything, we have 20 minutes, so we've got plenty of time. Um, Back to the very beginning conversation that we were having about choices and decisions, I think also, and this is from a personal perspective, and I think that it's probably uh, the same for everybody, or most everybody anyway, 
is that a lot of times when we're attempting to make a big change, you know, if you've been in the workshop, we make a list on the left side of the board that is all of the descriptors of a newborn, which is just awesome, love, wonderful, miracle, precious, pure. And we list all of those descriptors. And then on the right side of the board, we list the emotions or the feelings that someone had when they did something that motivated them to do something that now they regret that they did. And that list comes out as anger, fear, hostility, grief, pain, guilt, shame, hopelessness. And so when we're, you know, we spend most of our life, I think most people move from the left side of the board to the right side of the board when they're about three years old. And so we spend most of our life encapsulated and experiencing those negative energies. And so when it comes to attempting to make a change in our life and move to the left side of the board to get back to being who we are, it's such a difference. You know, that's the to live, you have to die. For the true being to live, the old being has to die. And you refer to that as the dark night of the soul. And I think sometimes when we're moving from one side to the other, and I don't know anybody that's gotten all the way to the other side yet. It's a process. But in the process of moving there, we encounter situations that, let's use myself as as an example, um, when I was uh, a teenager and I got married at 16 and, and I was in an abusive relationship and I kept telling myself to get out of it. I stayed in it for three years because I knew how to behave in order to not get beaten or to not get abused or raped or whatever and learn to walk on eggshells. And I I knew what was expected of me there. To get out of that situation, one, I was going to have to admit that I made a bad decision at getting married at 16. And divorce wasn't acceptable at that time. So there were a lot of things I was going to have to face that I didn't think that I was strong enough to face and I didn't know how life was going to uh, be outside of that arena. So even though being in that situation was horrible and miserable, I still knew what was expected of me and I knew how to live there when I didn't know how to live if I moved into a better situation. So I think a lot of times, you know, in referring to the friend who wrote to me this morning, you know, she knows that the relationship she's in is not healthy for her. But she, you know, whether it's that she doesn't think she deserves to be number one in someone else's life or whether she doesn't think she deserves to be, you know, on top of her game or whatever, that she knows what it's like or how to live at the bottom. And so climbing back out of the top, sometimes it's like a, trying to walk up a sliding board. That was the image that I got, you know, as a child. I don't know if everybody else did it, but you would try to, instead of going around and walking up the ladder, you'd try to walk back up the sliding board to go back down again. And you might get halfway up and then slip and go back down. And so it's trying to get to the top on the wrong side. Or I don't know. Do you have anything to add to that, or does that make sense? I I think that's a perfect metaphor. Trying trying to get to the top. You know, I we talked the other day about that um the uh the film Trumbo and uh his dissertation after he f- receives a writer's award where he talks about 
looking for you know heroes and victims and how everybody in that game or pardon me he talks about heroes and villains and basically he's talking about living in hostility and fear and what he says is everybody is a victim there everybody is a loser you know the person who plays out of the hostility and fear based game you know, I was processing with somebody in, in relationship to a relationship issue and a custody issue. And, you know, here's the, 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 the person in the relationship that does this manipulation and lies and blah, 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 blah. And they appear to be the winner because they got custody of the child. In the meantime, the person who was lied about lost. The child lost a parent. And the person who lied and appeared to win still isn't happy, still is miserable as hell, but they appear to be the winner. And there's no winning in the hostility for game, no matter where you go. You know, look at look at war and somebody says, look at that, we won the war. We were declared the official victor, yeah? Why don't you go home and look at how many uh, of the children of these uh, soldiers are alcoholics and drug addicts and committing suicide and how many of the soldiers themselves are committing suicide and how many of the wives and, and you're telling me somebody won that there are no winners there so I think your metaphor genie of the uh, the slide is perfect and trying to get back to the top of the slide from the incorrect side of the board always ends up with a flop and it's only when we uncover the truth of who we are as love and begin to function out of that love that we can really win. And in that case, everybody is a winner. In the custody battle, if people are functioning out of love, well, you know, it might go this way, it might go that way, but the child recognizes both of its parents as love recognizes how to live life out of caring and out of a human life, the child is a winner. The parent may not get everything that they want, but they've got a happy, loving, cared for, cared for child, and so they're a winner on both sides. It, it's, it's, a, it's a win all the way around. And so I, I like that metaphor. I never thought of that one, but, yeah, trying to get to the top on the, on the incorrect side is exactly what's going on. So... And then, of course, there are a lot of people who get halfway up the board and topple over and land on their heads and really end up in deep trouble. So it is it is a process. And, you know, the fact that we live in a culture that disappeared the tool for removing from carbon-based memory the things that make us losers every time we use them, the things that bring us suffering and pain and trauma – uh, the fact that we have a culture that doesn't have that technology is just amazing. I mean, it's comparable to imagine a uh, a world. Let's say you go into IBM in their largest you know um, facility in the world. By the way, you know, we were watching a film the other night on, about Holocaust. IBM supplied Hitler with the technology to put the numbers on people's arms and track them in the concentration camps. Talk about losers. That's IBM, folks. But imagine that you walked into their largest office and there is no virus removal technology 
available to them. Is that place going to be in chaos or what? Where are you going to find a computer that works? And if you get a brand new one, you know, online, how long is it going to take before it's going to be corrupted with all kinds of viruses? Minutes. That's all it's going to take. Minutes. And it is another exact metaphor for life without forgiveness. Generation to generation to generation, the hostilities and fears, when people have no idea that those things can be totally and completely erased from the genes, erased from the generations, then we end up with the same kind of chaos that there would be in the IBM office should there not be any virus removal technology. Forgiveness is the virus removal technology for a human life. Hold a newborn child, you know what a human life is. If a virus creeps in, that is any form of hostility or fear, and you apply forgiveness, you remove that, that's all. It just becomes pretty matter-of-fact, pretty simple, and pretty straightforward, the same way as with your computer. Although, it's going to take some time and some investment. You'll notice that the person who spent hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours learning about computers and learning how to operate computers, if they do have to happen to have a virus that sneaks back past their virus removal technology or virus blocking technology, you'll notice that they think nothing of spending 10, 15, 20, 30 hours getting back online and operational again. And yet virtually everybody who's lived a life of rage and guilt and grief and fear and terror and trauma and drugs and alcohol and separation and cheating and the whole thing Oftentimes they say things like, well, I've got five bucks in five minutes. Tell me everything you know. Not going to happen. We, we were in a meeting the other night and did a brief presentation. By the way, we are uh, scheduled. We are going to be doing, or, you know, we just can't help ourselves. It's what we do, but we do have two uh, workshops scheduled here in the Ellington uh, Bradenton area, so in January. So if you're in this area, you can look on the website. We'll be doing a uh, uh Two forgiveness, two why is this happening to me again workshops, and we're talking about maybe doing another event or two. So keep an eye on the schedule if you're in this area. And, and I don't uh, have it up there we'll, yet, but I will by tonight. Oh, cool. Great. So we'll be at uh, CSL in Clearwater. Uh, gee, what is it? The weekend of the 10th of uh, Sunday, yeah, I think yeah. it is, the 10th of January? Yeah. Yeah. And then we'll be down in Miami the week of the 17th, Miami and uh, Hollywood, the week of the 17th of January. And then the following Monday, we're going to be back up here at a local um, uh, relationship center doing Why Is This Happening to Me Again on Monday the... 25th. 25th. 20th. Thank you. Thank you for knowing what I was going to say. <laughs> so, 646 200 4169 is our calling number. How can we support you? Holiday time, if, heading into that season if, where all kinds of viruses will be resonating. Excuse me, sweetie, go ahead. I was just going to say, if Julie is on the line, um, she had called in yesterday, but it, um, we got into a different conversation and didn't get around to getting to her. So, if, there were, if Julie, if you're still on the line and you would like to talk, we got you. Just press one. Actually, Julie usually likes to wait to the last 45 seconds or so, so we may have to wait a little while. Just kidding, Julie. Are you there? Put your hand up. Push one. Come on. 
So 646-200-4169 is our call-in number, and we would love to hear your sweet voice. And uh, how can we support you? Are you uh, – go ahead, Jeannie. Eight one. I think it's Dr. Tim. He's back on. And then we've got two oh. more hands that just went up as well. Well, Great. I just want to let you know – I just want to let you know I'm back, but we can get the other hands. I had to answer a – uh, a call, and then um, we had our support group last night. But let's take the other calls and see what they have going on. Okay. Yeah, I wanted to hear what, think, uh, how your support group went last night. But okay, let's go catch a caller. Okay, the first one. I think this is Julie Haverstick, four one seven. You're on the air. We were actually talking about the other Julie, but we're glad you're with us. <laughs> yeah, why you are with us? Hey there, young lady. Hey, how are you guys? We're um, rocking, doing well. Lots going yeah. on. Well, I, I have a question, you know, I, um, and that, you know, you often talk about your looking at the inside of your eyeballs when you are um, perceiving life. Um, right. Could you really explain what that means? Because if I'm looking in the mirror, am I really looking in the mirror or am I still really looking at the inside of my eyeballs? You're still really looking. You know, there's a great opening scene in the movie Inside Out. And you see this newborn child, this cute little baby, cartoonish. And then you're introduced to the being, Joy, who's inside of her head. And literally looking out through her eyeballs, looking at the pictures projected. And, you know, as you watch through it, that's why I think that Inside Out is so powerful. You'll see that when they want to change the mood, what do they do? They run over and they get one of these memory balls. They put it up in the projector. And bingo, there's a picture on the inside of her eyeballs. So everything we look at, you know, that is perception. Let's go back to the quote we've used so often since we found it from the CIA in their study of perception. And they say that the mind does not record reality, it constructs reality. So if I'm looking in the mirror and there's light, now if there's no light energy in the room, I can look in the mirror, I'm not going to see anything. Because there's nothing, there's no energy that's going to stimulate brain cells to produce pictures on the inside of my eyeballs. But if I look in the mirror, and let's say, as in that uh, film, What the Bleep Do We Know? This girl is standing in front of the mirror, and the light energy that bounces back into her eyes shows her the face of someone who is not worthy and is hateful. And she actually starts to hit and punch herself. Now, she's obviously not looking at who she is. She's not looking at that awesome presence of love that she started out as. She's looking at a picture generated from inside of her of how unworthy she is and how angry she is at herself. And so when she looks in the mirror, the light energy bouncing back into her eye causes her brain to generate a picture of what she thinks is her body, and she looks at this picture as an object of derision and pain and hatred. And so she starts to physically beat on herself. So we're always looking at pictures on the inside of ours. Perception is always giving us information that is true about what's going on inside of us and may or may not be true about what's happening outside of us. If it's in alignment, I'll be able to speak the truth about what happened out there. If it's not in alignment, then I'll tell a story that I think is about what's out there, but it's really just a story about the picture on the inside of my eyeballs. 
And to me, the the big uh, key is that when there's hostility or fear going on, I can rest assured that I'm being limited to an inaccurate picture that's being painted on the inside of my eyeballs with the content of hostility or fear inside of myself. And that picture is not going to be the least bit accurate about what's going on out there. When I clean up my hostility or fear, the best thing I can hope to receive from the picture on the inside of my eyeballs is at least accurate information about what's going on out there. If I'm receiving accurate information, then my words are going to be relatively true about what's going on out there. But they're still going to come from a picture inside of me. There is another world we can go to, and you know, you've done the intuitive development uh, intensive several times over the years, and you're you know really powerful at doing intuition. You'll notice that your intuitive insight doesn't come as a picture on the inside of your eyeballs. Usually it can, but that's not usually where it comes from. You have this whole field perception that because you've practiced with it and practiced with it and practiced with it, you can get a sense of, and as you do from your whole field perception, you get an accurate picture about maybe something that happened to somebody 25 years ago. And you say something along the lines of, gee, you know, I'm getting this sense that maybe... You know, when you were 10, were you ever beaten up or abused? And all of a sudden, oh, my God, how did you know? You're receiving information through whole field perception, not through the nine-bit mind, that's giving you accurate information about what's going on in the world. To me, the idea of this work, the goal of this work is to get to the point where, yeah, we have pictures that we rely on to a certain degree, but everything that's important comes from whole field perception and comes through the filter of love rather than any form of hostility or fear. And, of course, that doesn't mean that we, we get to now deal only with things that are pleasant because sometimes things that aren't pleasant have to be addressed. But we address them from that whole field space of connectedness to love and keep moving toward truth. Is that kind of... Get to your question? Yeah. Well, it does. And I was just wondering, though, you know, you ask us to do the love exchange in the mirror. Are we actually able to do the love exchange in the mirror when we're only seeing through, you know, to our, you know, the inside of our eyeballs? I mean. Well, remember, when you do the love exchange, and uh, just, Jason, if you're still on, uh, I was going to suggest this earlier, and the conversation kind of went in a different direction, but there is an exercise we do called love exchange, and you might start this out with your interaction with your parents, and that is you get quiet, you go inside, you close your eyes, and you touch into that whole field space. You touch into the, the most powerful clearest love you can find and you intensify it and then you open it and you direct that energy out of your eyes toward whoever your object of attention is so can i do a love exchange can i tap into and send the energy of love out through my field absolutely whether i'm looking in a mirror or i'm looking at another person or whatever it is i can stand in that space of connected love and send that energy and that's the whole idea of the love exchange and and in the intensives, we suggest people do that continuously with everybody in the intensive so that it becomes first nature to always be holding that space of love. So that's 
they're great questions, Julie, and right on track. And maybe we didn't complete this. So if we started out tomorrow, because we're down to just the last few seconds, I need to close the show up. But it'd be awesome if you call in if we can continue this conversation because it's a really uh, important one. And we appreciate you and appreciate you being on our team and the chance to be on ours. And uh, we'll look forward to the next time we get eyeball to eyeball. In the meantime, create the best year yet of your eternal life, everybody. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Bring a stranger to the show tomorrow. Blessings. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice and his wife, Jeannie, who present the internal Aramaic process of forgiveness. Michael and Jeannie are here every Monday through Friday on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.yagain.com. That's www.whyagain.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.